Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. We are joined today by Natalie Rafay. Rafi, see, I couldn't get it right. You did it to me. You did it to me. It's Rafay. Rafay, the founder and CEO at Splash Up. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. How are you doing today? Thank you, Michael. I'm doing great. Thanks very much for inviting me. It is my complete pleasure. Before we jump into some of the main topics, can we get some of your background for some context? Sure. So, in terms of professional background, you mean just the things that are important to you? Yeah. Like, how would you how would you introduce yourself to my brother? Uh, great. So, uh, hi, I'm Natalie. I'm the founder and CEO of Splash Up, a an AI driven partnerships platform with the aim to connect brands with other complementary brands post checkout. My uh, background has always been really in startups. So I have initially started off my career after graduating in uh, finance and marketing from the University of Sydney and um, was always a huge fan of this ecosystem called startups. And I naturally found it and been part of it ever since. I have started a couple of other things in the past and then moved into joining a high growth startup that IPO'd um, and had uh, also developed uh, some experience working in IT. And so bringing all this experience together and um, also founding my own D2C brand in the past have kind of uh, forced me to curse me, I would say it's a beautiful entrepreneurial curse, so to speak, um, to be on this entrepreneurial journey and uh, to, to, to be where I am in building Splash Up. Along this journey, I forgot to say, but I also found myself being part of the University of New South Wales uh, entrepreneurial uh, team. So I'm part of the W Founders in consulting and advising startups. Do you think there's ever been a better time to start a brand? I would say yes and no. I mean, like if we kind of uh, if we kind of look at where we're at right now, uh, the barriers of entry have never really been low. Um, so is it is timing in terms of difficulty and complexity? I would say now is the perfect time. We have it much easier than we've ever had. If you think about, let's say 15, 15, 20 years ago, e-commerce, when it started, they have a sh- like when, if someone wanted to come up with a, with a brand, they had to go through the process of setting up a website and like setting up all the payment infrastructure Platforms like Stripe weren't really that they were at infancy and also didn't have the likes of Shopify. So you had to kind of come up with a tech team altogether. Back then, it was much more difficult because not only did you have to come up with a with an online presence, but you also had to source the product. And I would say right now, it's much more uh, easy to, to be able to, to bring a brand to life. But at the same time, it comes with its own challenges in navigating the ecosystem when it comes to, I have a product. Now what? How do I go about marketing it? So how do you fix that? How do you fix that? That's a good question. Um, so there, there's not a single fix. Um, really, there's like, I guess now we've entered the sort of uh, age of community-driven, uh, community-first kind of uh, uh, marketing uh, mindset where rather than have a product and then sell it and then build a community, we kind of have this new thing around build a community first and then you understand your audience and then you create content and then you essentially... Uh, build a brand from there. And that is like one way of fixing it. Uh, the other thing is it's really about, as if we kind of look at brand as a financial instrument, it's all about diversification. And it's not just having one single uh, channel, a single channel that's working, but it's really about exploring a variety of things. And um, that touches on both online and offline tactics that go beyond having a website or doing Facebook ads and potentially using Splash Up at some point, which I would love to tell you about. Tell me. But because this is the thing that I'm really, I mean, I'm curious about so many of these things, right? 
But you've mentioned a few of them, this offline to online thing, right? When e-commerce first started, I mean, obviously after Amazon, right? But before Shopify, there was this whole idea of all commerce now is going to be e-commerce and all commerce is going to move online. And I feel like it's kind of hit a plateau, but I feel like there are two things coming into that are connecting right now. The first is I think people are starting to reject bigger brands. So that they're mm -hmm. naturally looking for smaller brands. I want to actually give my money to you, not to a gigantic company. And on the second front is that all the little pieces are now in place for someone to build that brand, right? So mm -hmm. it works both ways where consumers are sitting there going, do I really want Nike or do I want some new sneaker brand? Or do I really want like Polo or something that my neighbor made kind of thing? What's the confluence of these events? So uh, you're absolutely spot on. So in a, in a way, when we kind of look at the established brands like uh, Nike and uh, Puma and Adidas and all these other in the sportswear, they they filled a need for a, a large group of uh, target audience. But what these DTC brands did was they found a niche. They found a specific audience that was missing something that maybe Nike was was uh, was not giving them, was not talking to them in a way that resonated with them. Yeah. And that paved way to all these micro brands that um, were, were able to really target all these different um a niche that were always in the market, but didn't have a place for them to, didn't have a home. And so in a way that is super exciting, but at the same time, from a brand perspective, there are lots of challenges because ultimately um, brands are facing uh, incumbents in the market. And even if you look at the statistics, I think I was reading about this the other day, but established brands, when it comes to online uh, online growth, I think they've been, they've been actually growing nine times faster than new brands. Really? And so that is quite uh, concerning because on one end, we have we have this uh, huge celebration and acceptance of new brands coming to market. But on the other end, established brands, by established, I mean those who had an offline presence and now they've kind of put all their efforts in, or more effort into online growth. They have started eating and growing uh, in, in this uh, ecosystem. So that then poses the question, is this trend of going into finding a niche product going to always be there? Or are ultimately people going to always value price and convenience? And and, and that is, uh, the world is big. So there's always going to be a place for DTC brands, but there's always these question marks that are quite interesting. Microsoft used to do this in the old days, right? Anytime someone would build a great product, they would just co-opt it by buying it and then redoing it themselves, right? So always accumulating these new little brands into their big brand and then making it Microsoft, <laughs> which was super annoying at the time. But this almost feels like a craft beer moment to me in the retail, in the D2C space, right? Where all these little companies are like, I know the kind of beer exactly that I want, right? Mm -hmm. But in the old days when craft beer first started, like if you didn't live in Boston, you couldn't have Boston craft beer. And if you didn't live in Sydney, you couldn't have that. But now because of all these little things that you've mentioned, all these little pieces like Stripe, right? Like Spotify, sorry, Shopify, it's now mm -hmm. all connected. Absolutely. So tell me exactly what Splash Up does in that context, right? How does it then put all those little pieces together so that regular people can use them in a way that they may not have been able to use otherwise? Yes. Touching on that um, particular uh, element of, let's say you're a new brand and you are coming into the market and you're, you're, you want to, you're excited to sell your product, you know, talk about your product and reach your target audience. You're a new brand coming to the market and then you're facing all of the, these different challenges. You've got competitors in the space that you have to face. And you've also have the established brands that as competitors that you also have to have to face and, and differentiate yourself from. 
what we're doing is essentially we're giving brands a channel or a new acquisition channel for them to reach new target audiences or their target audience. And we do this by essentially creating a cross-promotion mechanism that exists post-checkout. So if someone has just made a purchase, then we promote other brands that are complementary, non-compete, that could be already targeting the same target audience, but are synergistic in values or or, or, or categories so that they can reach new target audiences or, or existing target audiences in a way that customers love. So it's really a, an AI-driven partnerships, excuse my buzzwording here, but it's really leveraging AI to create seamless partnerships that are currently very manual and, and, and cumbersome and bridging that gap by allowing brands to collectively grow with the, with the goal of growing and succeeding. Yeah. So now I think I have it. And I'm, I'm just going to simplify this so that I can actually understand it. And then the listeners can understand it as well. If I've built like a small D2C sneaker brand, when I'm done mm-hmm. buying those sneaks, I'm going to need some socks. But the sneaker brand doesn't make socks and the socks don't compete with the sneaker brand, but they complement it. So at the end of me buying those sneaks online, what you're suggesting is that after the checkout, it's something pops up or something happens. And I'm curious what the mechanism that says, you know, people that bought this also bought socks. It's like this AI enhanced recommendation engine for products that are related to that product, but also in the same sort of size category. Like you're never going to send somebody from like Natalie's sneakers to Nike's socks. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's really about elevating the awareness for brands and leveraging cross-promotion and partnerships and synergies when there's complementarity to really, on one end, give brands access to a new channel of acquisition that is much more cost-effective than um, existing uh, channels. One, because it's targeting high intent customers. So when someone makes a purchase, they're much more likely to continue engaging with uh, additional products or want to continue the journey. And two, because it really leverages uh, synergies and places it in front of the, the customer at point of uh, at a crucial point where right now, if you purchase online, really the music stops when you finish purchasing and we want to continue this journey. So for, for the brand's perspective, it's it's giving them great brand awareness by leveraging partnerships. And from the consumer's perspective, it's giving them a chance to continue discovery and enjoy their online uh, journey in a way that they never really had before. So that's basically us in a nutshell and you've said it very perfectly. <laughs> Better than me, actually. <laughs> Stop it. I, I once was hosting or moderating a panel about e-commerce in Bangkok and I won't name the name of the company, but a pretty well-established marketplace in Southeast Asia. And one of the panelists was the chief revenue officer. And I mm-hmm. asked him, how do you handle this discovery problem? And he kind of scoffed at me and said, we don't have a discovery problem. We have 3 million products on the platform. And even the people in the audience, there were about three or 400 people in the audience actually looked up and did the same thing that I did, which was like, yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> with all of those products, there's no way to get the right discovery. I'm curious how you came up with this idea. You said you built your own D2C brand. Were you having the same type of issue where like people were buying things that were similar to yours or supplementary or complementary to yours, but they were never getting to see your brand? Yes. So initially, when I first started my DDC brand, I've encountered all sorts of challenges. So when we first embarked on this splash up journey, we actually have gone through a couple of pivots to get to the point where we're at. When I first had my own brand, I uh, I remember clearly having to spend so much on advertising, having to spend so much time on get it was peak influencer marketing. We're talking about 2015, so influencers and sending products and giveaways were like the the, the holy grail of growth, and, and I hated it. Never really resonated with who I am at core, and it was just cumbersome. It felt like 
it just didn't really align with my values or who I am. It was not something that I enjoyed doing. Um, and add to that, there was other complexities beyond partnerships, beyond promotion that touched on um, providing a good customer experience in the store itself. And so when I when we launched Splash Up, I um, was really set on solving the customer experience problem. So we kind of came up with coming up with a series of uh, uh, tools for brands to help build a better way to engage and connect and communicate with their customers, understand their preferences and needs. But then that naturally evolved as we talked to more brands, they would sort of tell us, well, you know, we spoke to brand A and actually after after I've done my D2C brand, I would be having conversations with brands and tell them, why don't I connect you to this brand? Why don't I connect you guys and you can have a chat because I know them and you might be good together. And so naturally it was like, well, how can they like, why don't we <laughs> do this in a way where tech enables them to to really work together and collaborate. So it kind of has been a back and forth, but it evolved as part of a series of pivots, but all closely related to pains that I've personally experienced that um, I'm glad, or maybe not glad, like, oh, I'm glad everyone's feeling this pain, but no, it's like, there are other people who feel it too. And it's great that we have a solution that we're now bringing to market to help with this. So this fits into one of the these large categories of learnings that I have, not just from doing this show, but from also building my own business. And that mm -hmm. is, and I haven't found the right words for this yet, right? So just work with me a little bit on this. But this idea that you have to be in some kind of business, at just be in any kind of business, really. And then as you start to interact with your potential clients, your potential partners, that's where you really learn what the business is you should be building. But if you just sit around and like don't actually build something and just try to think of ideas, you'll never get to the idea because you're not interacting with the right people. Is this making any sense? Do you know what I mean? So like you had this oh, idea for Splash Up. And it was a kind of thing, but when you went out and spoke to people, you're like, actually, now I got it. This is a better thing to build. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And like, um, and that's the beauty of entrepreneurship because yeah. it's not really like I have an idea, I quit my job, I go do it. Now I'm unicorn. It's not like that at all. And no. even even if we had continued on the path that we were at, and had we maybe pivoted to a tangential, similar kind of space, we could have like maybe found something. But it's all about the back and forth, customer conversations. Yeah continuing and that is where true hustle or you know the beauty of entrepreneurship really comes along it's about refining that idea refining that plan refining this product and customer experience and that's why I tell my startups as well at UNSW like sometimes they they don't find a, a good fit and then I see a lot of startups who completely stopped and sometimes yeah. it's moving a little bit but you know i also don't blame them because sometimes you really do hit a dead end and you kind of just need to pack up and do something else but i really feel like I think if you continue iterating and keeping an open mind, you will you will find something that clicks. I think it's one of the biggest things I've learned actually by running my own business. And remember, I came out of a massive corporate business, right? So I worked at Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. And when I left, and I say this a lot now, I was so arrogant about what I thought I knew about building a business because I'd built little businesses inside of this massive business and thought, I can do that on my own. But once you actually try to do it, it's this idea of just going out and doing it, right? And then you start to figure stuff out. And you'll probably never make money the way you first expected to. And you'll probably never get customers the way you expected to. But once you start getting them. 100%. It's kind of like surfing. You kind of look at people and you're like, oh, I can stand on those two feet. I can do that. And then you kind of go into the waves and you, you get like hit with all these waves and, and, and you feel like you're just hit back to shore and you're like, all right, I'm going to do it again. And it takes you a few tries before you're like, oh, wait, hang on. I got a bit of a 
I can, I can, I've got some balance here. And even, even experienced people, they do struggle with, um, after years of experience and finding that not just product market fit, but also problem solution fit. Actually, surfing is such a great, such a great example of this. It's such a great metaphor, right? Because the first thing you have to do is get on the board and paddle out to the wave. Yes. You really do. I'm going to start using this if you don't mind. I'll attribute it to you. Oh, go for it. I actually, I, it came up with it because I, and this is probably sad, but like I was, I was taking a surfing lesson and, and I completely sucked at it. Uh, it was a two day lesson. So we were like stranded for four hours trying to surf. Right. First day I sucked. Second day, it was like the last hour of the lesson is when I was able to kind of get a grip on it. I was like, oh, wait, that's like startups. And that's when I knew I need to get a new hobby because I was like constantly thinking about startups. But it was such a good analogy because um, it's just life. It really is. This idea that I'm just going to sit on the beach and just go, I could do that. And then complaining about the fact that you don't have a board is pretty much the way most people that are ancillary to the startup world think like Uber, I could have started that, but I was busy kind of thing, right? Whereas no, because you never even bought the board. You never even did that. 100%. And even if you did buy the board, you still need to go and practice yeah. and you still need to go and like, um, not just practice, but also meet meet the standard that currently exists on a global landscape. And that's another thing that startups need to think about um it's not just about competing with yourself but it's all your competitor in australia but it's about competing with the global market and making a, a difference there yeah and again this gets back to this idea of it's the best time to start a brand right we said this earlier but it's not just doing it in australia you could do it in tanzania you can do it in california and all of these things are related you mentioned something else earlier too about community and about building a community around this can you talk about like why that's important and how to do that the right way or one or two ways? Yeah, because there's no right way for anything for sure. Yeah, so a disclaimer, we, we should have or, you know, we could be doing this a, a lot more effectively than something we want to, we really want to be doing. But communities are important because um, they are ultimately a closed space that puts you with the people that you already want to be talking to um, where you can truly understand the pain points and the problems and have an open-minded back and forth a conversation that is authentic yeah. and that is uh, very raw and that allows you to establish your rapport with your customers at the same time learn about their needs and the gaps that exist and not just that but also down the track have them as the word of mouth spreaders um, that allow you to build a foundation in this, uh, in this ecosystem so i wish i've done that um back in the day there's there's a brand that i'm a huge fan of that's an upcoming uh, brand they're super small but i really think they're doing all the right things they've started off by doing a uh, creating a community and the founder herself would take out a camera and start she would she always does it she takes out the camera and has a conversation with her followers um where she just talks to them as if they're in present in the room and she asks for their feedback she shares her pain points during her day um and she gets for their opinions and she also asks them about the kind of like styles or colors they want and with that then she built a waitlist for her product that she was building on the side right. and um when she launched she literally had a huge number of fans that were that were there to help her launch her brand. And now her brand is taking off and I couldn't be any more proud. So communities are incredibly important because they are the most authentic way to be in a closed space, closed safe space with your customers or users. What's your view on where those communities should get built, right? So in the beginning of this, you would have said, not maybe you, but one would have said, oh, you need to build like a Facebook page that has 100,000 people that are part of your community. And there's been a switch, I think, as well, right? Again, from big spaces to smaller spaces, 
should you build your own community on your own? And I'm just going to use a website as a metaphor for just like your own store, essentially, right? But is that where that community needs to get built to be the most effective? Or do you still think you should use places like Facebook to build these communities? That's a great question. So it really depends what we are building. If I'm building a, maybe like a, a group for founders to connect because I'm selling a B2B software for, for founders, then um, Twitter might be like a really good place um, because that's where my community is. This is where my target customers are. Okay. Um, but if you want to talk about a brand, also it comes down to who they are. If I get a bunch of people and I'm building a brand to go on Slack, I don't think that's going to be effective, but yeah. Instagram or TikTok is where they spend most of their time, then I would create a channel that that caters to that. So it really depends on where the audience is and um, and building it from there. And we don't really need 100,000 people in the community. Um, with where we're at at SplashUp, we're actually already thinking of creating a community that connects founders together. One thing that we found is brand founders actually live in a very siloed ecosystem where unfortunately, they don't really know what they're doing well. How do I know if I'm doing well? How would I know if I'm meeting these are good benchmarks? Right. What about other brands? And again, now that we are uh, creating a, a network of brands that cross promote with one another post checkout, we are seeing this thing where like, oh, let me connect you to this brand and you can talk about your performance together. So then we test it out with a few brands and ask them, what if we create a community for you guys where we can have breakout rooms and we can have sessions and discuss all problems and you can winch together <laughs> like and the response was i would pay for that so that's a uh, one thing that we are um, also thinking about doing is there a way that technology whether it's augmented reality or virtual reality can make those spaces more immersive right so i think of things like unreal engine and your mm -hmm. ability to build these like three-dimensional worlds from scratch and then applying something like mid-journey to it so you can have it be completely like artificially intelligently um, generated. But then build those spaces that are immersive and gather your community there and really make it feel like everybody's in the same place. Do you think about this as well? So it's super immersive. You know what I mean? That would be cool, actually. As long as we don't, have, I personally hate VR sets. So as long as I don't have to put that on, then then that would be perfect. I think Zuckerberg was working on something that is similar where you project the um sort of yeah, his, or the his stuff was so his stuff was so <laughs> bad, right? And because it was built for him, and he's a little bit of a weird person. But yeah, I don't think anybody wants to wear goggles, right? And they're not effective. Nobody wants to have this kind of experience, right? But at some point, we're gonna have to be able to build. Like I have this vision for like these rooms and studios where people can go. So they don't have to wear goggles, right? But they could be at home in a room to start where then they can join you in a room, but that room then morphs into this really immersive space so that they can feel like they're in your physical store, even if your physical store doesn't really exist. And then that shopping experience feels more human, right? Because my thought on this is that like, People want to go shopping together. Online shopping can be a little bit lonely, I think. That's why people still go to the mall, because it's a social thing, too. Is there a way to combine all these things together, you think? Yeah, I mean, that would be the dream if we can do that. It feels a little bit Black Mary. I won't, like, lie to you. Um, it does feel a bit a, a creepy, kind of Orwellian deep tech. But it would be <laughs> okay. amazing if you can kind of escape um, at a click of a button, you press maybe something like on, on your head and you're transported to that location where these people are and you're able to have a conversation and completely delineate the space between your current reality and the one that you want to take part of. Yeah. Um, it would be awesome to get there. The one thing I could say is, you know, maybe 
Elon Musk is working on that with Neuralink. Um, but the one thing I could say is the world is filled with problems that if we can even solve some of the most pressing ones without sophisticated tech, um, it would be it would be great. Like I love how we're all talking about this great innovation and 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 how how we've got tech that is breaking the boundaries. But I also think that there's a lot of immediate problems that need solving without utopian crazy tech yet. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. You mentioned this idea of the platform being artificially intelligent, like AI enhanced, right? And I think I just inserted the word enhanced on my own. But is there a way to make this like a hybrid experience, or maybe you're already doing this, where as a brand, because you also use this term shared values, right? You want to make sure your community has shared values. And you also want to make sure if my brand has the same value sort of core that your brand has as well, because it'll make that sales process more authentic. Is mm -hmm. there a way to enhance the artificial intelligence so that I can actually choose? Like, I love that brand and I don't care if it needs to be recommended to me, but I just do that myself manually. Does that work as well? 100%. So maybe I can walk you through some of the user journey of how it looks like. Perfect. So the way that it works is when a brand joins, they get to fill out a brand profile. And this brand profile, we ask them more about their brand, their target audience, the kind of brands they would ideally want to collaborate with, um, the brands that they want to exclude from collaborating with. So if they've got a special enemy in this world, they can put it down. I don't want to collaborate with X brand. I don't want to collaborate with um, this category. Um, and so we also ask them about the type of like where does the product fit? Is it like a premium product? Is it a discount product? And we really try to understand their brand. We also have a call with them to better understand that. So once we have ingested all of this, um, we then recommend a few brands or like the AI really recommends a few brands within the network that would be a good fit. And so it's this process where once we share it with them, if we get an immediate like no, um, which really rarely ever happened, then we would change that. But we take into account the brand's input as well as our own, um, you could say, uh, passing of these like tags from the brand itself. And then we combine that, we compare it to the existing uh, network that we already have in place. So once they've recommended brands, um, all they do is just add a little code to their checkout page and that populates on their post checkout. So um, then they'll be ready to uh, cross promote with one another and see impact from day one. What kind of feedback do you get from the brands that have joined the platform for like their sales or even just learning from the other brand creators, if you know what I mean. Oh, it's amazing. Like, um, we're definitely still in the early stage of optimizing on things. So sure. I'm I'm not gonna lie, like we are a long way from wanting to get get the product to the point where like we really are we know where we want it to be, yep. but the feedback to it has been incredible. First, we have been getting some very interesting cross-promotion insights. For example, we were even getting some brands that would tell us, I didn't know my brand would, would be would be doing, I didn't know skincare would be doing really good with like incense sticks, for example, or like tea. Like I didn't really think of that. I was collaborating mostly or co-promoting with other brands in activewear or in um, other kind of like health and beauty products. So there is some surprising insight there. I remember when I was talking to someone who said, Funnily enough, I think Baby Bunting did a promotion once um, with, uh, with they, they did a lot of promotions, but Baby Bunting did a promotion once. And the biggest uh, driver of interaction was actually a beer brand. Because when a person buys a baby product, it's a parent. They want to drink a beer at the end. They're like, <laughs> I want to just grab one. So uh, there's lots of really unique insights in that sense. And the other thing I could say is 
they're very excited about the proposition that that we're building that we have them reach out where they ask us if they can volunteer some time to help us build a platform to uh, give us their feedback to um, even share their challenges their personal challenges. they would email us saying this is what I'm currently happening do you guys have any insight I think that's incredible like I think that's rare and to see them this excited is also a testament that hey you guys are you know doing something exciting so keep at it doesn't this get back to the conversation we we're having earlier though right we were talking about I bought the board I'm on the wave but I still don't know what I'm doing and then as you start to figure something out somebody else on the beach says to you no 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 just your foot a little bit over to the left or to the right or just lean don't lean forward lean back whatever it is you know you're doing something right. You're almost not even almost there, but you're definitely on the right path because other people are going, no, no, just this way a little bit more. That's kind of cool, no? That is exactly it. That is put on. It's so cool. Uh, you don't have to spoon like or force the person to buy into right. your surfing, uh, your surfing performance. You know, you literally have someone who's generally there being like, you know it's great. You know, your, 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 everything is, is great. Just optimize a little bit to the left or to the right. And unfortunately, I think in this sense, we are operating in a, in a market where the waters are a little bit like a tsunami. So <laughs> yeah. um, we have to be a little bit more patient with us. It's, it's tough out there, especially in our ecosystem, by the way, Michael, like, I don't know if I have Tell me. Uh, touched on this yet, but um, the, one of the core uh, reasons for why Splash Up is also resonating with with brands is because the ecosystem is seeing huge changes from a privacy and cookie tracking perspective. So what's going on is when the sort of, uh, uh, let's go back to, we talked about uh, Shopify and Stripe and how these things sort of emerged, that lowered the barrier of entry back then when um, yep. Shopify was saying, everyone was so excited to launch their own brand. And over time that created this huge influx of digital brands, digital online brands that are selling. So what happened was um, you suddenly had a huge amount of people that were shopping online, huge amount of brands that are selling the same product, selling to the same audience online. Right. Fast forward a few years um, down the track and people were more aware of, um, were, more, were more concerned about their privacy. So they felt like they were tracked everywhere. You would go somewhere and then they would track you as you go across other sites, that raised a huge flag with consumers. So um, companies like uh, Google and Safari and Firefox and the likes, they had to put some mechanisms in place to, pro to protect consumers. And they did. So they've recently uh, announced that they're going to like deprecate third-party cookies. And third-party cookies are the ones where like when you click on product and it keeps like following you around yeah. um, different sites as well as um, Apple, they've also done some iOS privacy changes. Yeah, in 14.5, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What this means is that brands won't be able to, first of all, they are going to have a um, smaller pool to target. So their existing audience that they were all struggling to target got smaller because right. there's users who've opted out. And then two, it's much harder to retarget them because you can't. And three, it's much harder to attribute things. So how do you attribute who did which purchase and 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 when and, and really paint that full picture of a user journey? So Splash Up comes in at a very good point because it's a closed loop tracking that allows brands to um, cross promote, but this cross promotion allows brands to gain lots of insight around their target audience and how they're behaving with, in a non-invasive way. And at the same time, it allows them to really understand 
the type of audience that they are um, with and to control the narrative around which type of target audience that they want to be with. Um, so it's it's resonating a, a lot. And so with that ecosystem itself, costs went up. So we're kind of, we're this new exciting channel that is more cost effective and that gets them really excited as well. Do you take the things that you've learned, right? Cause you know this stuff really, really well, like in deep detail and then share them back into the companies that you mentored at UNSW. And then through that process, you'll see where I'm going here in a second, through that process, get their feedback for all these other companies in which you're not involved in building, but you're mentoring. So you're talking to them all the time. And then they come up with ideas and you're like, oh, I could use that for my thing too. And create this kind of virtuous circle of idea sharing. Like there's a reason why you're there at Founders, but it benefits both sides, no? Can you explain a little bit what yeah. you mean by that? So, right. so in other words, you're building your own company, right? Mm -hmm. But I always like to say like, I have great ideas, but I don't have a monopoly on all the right ideas. Right. So that's why I'm constantly talking to people like you. And almost every time I do a recording with someone, I'm like, oh, I see how that works. I can, I think I can use that somehow. But then when I record with somebody else, I can share that idea with them as well. And they're like, that's a killer idea, but it's not mine. It was yours. Right. But mm -hmm. you're also doing this at UNSW mentoring people, but you must get feedback from them too. Do you feel like I just learned something as well? And then I can use it in my own business. Yeah. 100%. So obviously without um, uh, trespassing any any lines of stealing ideas, but yeah, definitely- Yeah, not like there, that, not like that. Um, definitely. There's lots of like, uh, ultimately startup challenges are the same. And there are certain lessons where um, when it comes to pivots, when it comes to finding uh, the why now that's really often uh, overlooked, like why now? And in our case, it's all of this ecosystem changing and it's yeah. really the- timing uh you talk to different startups about similar challenges that they're having and it does help you it does train that muscle uh, a little bit more um so it definitely really helps and that's why i think continuing to nurture that ecosystem is super important uh, i think uh, ideas are not owned by anyone yeah. um i think it's reading this ones that said at any point in time the idea that you have if you have an idea to kind of come up with uber for i don't know sheep i guess then um there's 10,000 people in this world that have this idea exactly. right now in the moment. Um, and so to be able to share it openly uh, with others would be great because there's lots of uh, learnings out there. I forget the, the guy or the gal that said this, yeah, but somebody was very public about this thing where like, I have a thousand ideas and I share all of them because I can't do all of them anyway. And the person who can execute it the best should have that idea. So let them have it freely. I'm already working on something that I love doing. So why am I hoarding this idea if I think it's such a great idea? Anyway, 100%. And if I kind of say, hey, I'm going to come up with a podcast for me to come up with a podcast, I need to kind of say, in, for startups, I need to come up with a podcast, outline it, prepare it, get the tools, get the guests, prepare the scripts, continue doing it over and over again. And that it's like, yeah, good luck, Nat. Like, you know, good luck. But it's really hard. The same thing with ideas when I've got startups who say, I don't want to share this with someone because um, they're going to they're going to take this idea. Um, I want them to sign an NDA. And I'm like, you know what, if they do go and do it, then you might have a great thing on your hands. So like, you should be really proud. This is great news when they tell me, oh, someone's doing it. And, I, and I'm like, that's awesome. And they're like, now, what do you mean it's awesome? And I'm like, we should celebrate. Yeah, like, I completely it, agree. Yeah. What do you think? I'll, I'll let you leave after this. But what do you think? And do you advise people on this as well when they say that they're operating in stealth? Uh, 
I understand. I, I understand why they would be doing it. There's this huge craze around building in public. Um, there's also raising in public now. I think the, there's this founder who is building a an AI tool for um, essentially bringing your entire workspace to life where like it records everything that you're doing. And it, it's kind of like, it's really, really cool. Ladridge is chat GPT. You should, I'll, I'll send it to send you later. To you. But he, he built, he, he did the fundraising in public. Now he's a He's an experienced founder with an exit, so he's ha he has a few Medal of Honors on um, on his belt. But um, he basically did the whole pitch in public and raised it. He was like, why should I go to VCs and pitch to each one of them separately? I'm just going to do this one pitch. You guys listen to it. You're interested. You reach out to me. When we look at stealth, um, there's a reason why a startup could be in stealth. They are in a crucial phase of validating their hypotheses. They're like in a crucial phase of understanding um, where the, the product is, where the solution is, how to shape it up. Um, but I think going down to stealth too much is also hurtful because um, maybe it touches on the ego itself. Like you don't want to be judged for that product. And right. the truth is there's never going to be a, enough um like the perfect time to uh, to have to, to really release the product or to really tell people that you're building something. And almost every time when you do share it, there is someone out there that says, oh, I know someone that can connect you to this person. And I think that's a lot more valuable than being wrong. I could not agree with you more. I'm going to leave you with that. Natalie Rafi, the founder and CEO of Splash Up. This was awesome. I cannot wait to have you back on the show. Thank you very much, Michael. That was so much fun.